tell you one thing, Josh. I'll tell you, since your your listeners might want to hear this, one of the scariest things I've ever seen or happened to me. It happened in like 1986, I believe. I'm getting old now, and the dates are kind of slipping. But there was this place in Geneva, or uh, well, close to Geneva, in the Smith Mills, called Burbanks Lake, and it was on this big forested hill in the bottomlands. And it's this big lake uh, nestled in between two old cemeteries. One was a slave cemetery, and one was a slave owner cemetery. So we always heard it. This lake was full of monster bass. And buddy, we're you know I've always been an avid fisherman. That's arrowhead hunting, uh, hunting, fishing. That's me. And even after 1975, the, the crazy stuff that happened, I never let that bother me. I never let that keep me from going into the woods and enjoying uh, what I love. And the woods is like my home. So Burbanks Lake, and there's monster bass. We've always wanted to fish. We heard tales about it for years. And so we, we make plans to go fish, but you, you, you know, you're not, it was no trespassing. No one was allowed to be there, but we decided we was going to sneak in with a one-man bass boat, and there was about six of us. And my older brother, Harold, when we told him, he said, oh, don't go there. Don't go there. It's haunted. It's a haunted lake. And we're like, oh, what do you mean it's haunted? We'd always heard that, but we want to know what, it, you know, some details. He said, well, me and my brother-in-law, Doug, 10 years ago, was out there fishing in the middle of that lake, and dark caught us at that lake, and we decided to go home. And when we tried to put the boat in to shore, he said the shore, the shoreline erupted like it, like ten elephants were just breaking down trees and running around, making the worst racket you've ever seen. So we had to push back out into the lake, and we wait for the sounds to die down. And uh, we'd try it again, and every time we tried it, it was the same thing. It sounded like a bunch of elephants was there waiting for us. So we ended up spending the night in the middle of the lake. And in the morning, when the sun came up, we made our escape. So y'all don't go there. Well, you know, we weren't scared, even though we've had lots of things happen to us. We decided we're going to go do it, and we went and did it. We snuck in, and, you know, there was two men on the one-man bass boat fishing. And unfortunately, I was, I didn't get to be one of them. And uh, so we just had to walk around the lake, and I'm fishing, casting my lure in as I go. Copperheads and water moccasins everywhere. Just everywhere. And it's kind of scary just how many snakes was there. But we made our way over to the other side of the lake. And uh, I just had caught a two-pound bass on my, my plastic worm. It's the only fish anyone ever, ever caught that day. But... uh. And we put it back in, and I cast my lure out again and got it hung up in a tree limb. I'm like, oh, man, it's the only lure I got. You know, if I lose this lure, then I'm done fishing. I just have to stand here, and everybody gets ready to go home. So I I grabbed my pole and started walking backwards, right, trying to use enough uh, exertion and force to free that lure. And it it came uh, free suddenly, and it's so fast hit me right in the chin and buried two of the three treble hooks into my chin. So it was a, Oh yeah. It was a, it was really a memorable night. And, uh, so it took everybody to get, we had a half a gallon jug of kerosene with us, uh, just for emergencies in case we had to build a fire or whatever. And, uh, it took everybody to get that, that lure out of my face, (laughs) pulling my face and stretching it, pouring kerosene on and finally got it out. 
Well, by that time, it's getting dark. And it takes 30, 45 minutes with two people on that, that one-man bass boat to make it to the other side of the lake in 30, 45 minutes to make it back. So he started ferrying everybody across the lake. And it ended up me and my little brother, Victor, were stuck on the other, other end of the lake and night fell. And I just had enough time to gather up a few little twigs and, and dry branches. There was hardly anything dry because it had rained two or three days before and everything was still really wet. So I used the kerosene to start the fire. And it was pitch black, Josh, just pitch black over there and really creepy. And uh, the fire was going for a few minutes and it started to die down. And all of a sudden, we started hearing tree snaps and tree breaks all around us and heavy footsteps. Every it sounded like every step of these things were taken would break a branch, and it just went crazy. And as soon as it happened, we knew exactly what was to blame for it because we'd already been exposed to these creatures before. So they basically surrounded us, me and my little brother, and had that little dinky fire going. It wasn't much, but the, we were so scared we thought we were going to die because the, as the firelight grew closer to the to us, you know, in the circle of firelight diminished. Uh, the sounds got closer and closer and closer. It was falling in darkness. And we knew eventually that it would they would reach us. So I waited until the sounds got to about 20 or 30 feet away, and I took the kerosene and I threw a shot of it in the fire, and it blared all up, you know. And we could see 60 or 70 feet all around us, and we could see nothing. There was no grunts, no heavy breathing, no growls, no nothing, just the sound of breaking trees and limbs and heavy footsteps. And when the the fire died back down again, they would come again. And I'd wait till they got a little bit closer. And the next time it would be like 15 feet away. And I'd throw more kerosene in the fire. We wanted to at least see what was going to kill us, right? We thought we were going to die for sure. And the fire glared up again, and there was nothing there. So we didn't know what to think. We were both just scared, you know, terrified, really, because that's what these things do. They they somehow uh, exhibit some type of uh, mind control in the fact they can instantly instill in you the fight-or-flight reflex. Or to me, I'm a pretty brave guy. You know, I faced death several times, but uh, you know, I wasn't really scared, but I was scared that night. So we were getting low on kerosene, and I had, like, maybe two more shots left in there to throw in a fire, and so the very last one, I waited till the sounds got within five or six feet of us. You know, so there was no way we could not see these things when I threw this kerosene in the fire. So they were within five or six feet of us. It, it felt like they were, could reach out and grab us, and I doused the fire again. Fire blared up again, and there was nothing there, Josh. Whatever was these things were were completely invisible to the human eye. And we were out of kerosene. And here come those damn footsteps again. So I told my brother, I said, are you ready to swim? We're going to go out to swim for it. And he said, yes, yes. So I had <laughs> I had one little stick with a flame on it about a, about two inches high. And I grabbed that stick up and held it up, you know, in front of me. And we backed down to the lake. And as soon as we were getting ready to jump in, because the sounds followed us all the way down to the lake, even where there were no trees, there was still the breaking sounds, which made me come to the conclusion that all that racket they were making was uh, some type of auditory hallucination. But we got down to the to the lake, 
And about that time, we heard our brother. He was on his way back. And he said, what the heck's going on over there? He saw, saw me, you know, saw the fire blaring up and everything. We said, hurry up. Come get us. Come get us. We're ready. Let's go. Let's go. So he pulls up to the bank, and he goes, okay, who's next? I said, who's next? We're both next. Nobody's staying over here. You don't know what's been going on over here. He says, no way, Bubba. This, this is a one-man basketball. It cannot hold three people. I said, well, we're going to test the limits right now. Get on there, Victor. So Victor laid across the, the back of the boat, and I laid across the front, and there was like a quarter-inch uh, distance between the top of the boat and the water. And I said, you know, let's go, let's go. So it took us almost an hour, the three people wanted to get across that lake. But that was the second scariest moment of my life, and it showed me that these things, these Bigfoot creatures, and I don't care how many people want to deny it, how many people want to think it's crazy or ludicrous, these things can achieve an invisible state to the human eye. And it was it was really uh, brought home to me about three years later in broad daylight. Me and uh, uh, my ex-wife and our, our another couple were fishing down at the Booth Farm in the Green River. And it was, uh, it was autumn. It was kind of chilly. There was a uh, dead leaf fall all over the forest behind us, right? And we get down to the, to the bank and uh, start fishing. And the girls are on one side and me and my buddies on the other side. And, you know, we wouldn't get any bites. So I was, you know, kind of a playful mood. So I would take some dirt clods and I would throw it over at the girls and then look away real quick. And when the dirt clod landed, they would uh, say, oh, my gosh, what's that? What's that? You know, and I'd be like, I don't know what you're talking about, you know, just messing with them. And I did that three or four times. And the last time I did it, I, I didn't look away. I just kept looking at them and smiling, right? So they knew it was me at the at the final little trick that I was playing. And they were all cussing me, you know how they are. And about that time, a bigger dirt clod comes from above us on the bank and lands right beside the girls. Well, I knew immediately that someone had to throw that dirt clod from up above us, right? We couldn't see it because of the angle of the bank. But as soon as that dirt clot hit the ground, I stood up and started scrambling up the bank to see who or what it was up there. It had to be a man, right, to throw that. So as soon as I stood up, I heard a footstep crunching in the leaves. One, two, three. And on the fourth footstep, which should have been the fourth footstep, my eyes, I was scrambling up the bank the whole time. On the fourth footstep, my eyes got above the bank to where I could see above us where uh, uh, I saw the trajectory of the dirt clod, and I looked to where they come from, and there was nothing standing there. And the fourth the four step never fell. It only took three steps. So I get up there, and I'm like, gosh, what the heck? There's nothing up here. My buddy comes up, and we're looking around, and I'm telling you, Josh, in dead leaf fall, you can track a squirrel for a mile in there. All you have to do is get down low enough to see the disturbed leaves, right? There was nothing there. There was no disturbed leaves. And whatever through that dirt clot took three steps and stopped. And we looked that area over really thoroughly, and there was just nothing there. So it freaked the girls out so bad that, you know, we had to leave. So that, you know, whatever these things are, and I, I know a lot of my peers laugh at them. 
the notion that they can cloak. That's what they call it, cloaking. But I'm telling you right now, it's, uh, it's true. It's 100% real. They can do it. And whatever your explanation of Bigfoot is, it has to include an explanation of how they can achieve that. We we've done shows on the uh, on the cloaking, and we called it the uh, the shimmering phantom or something like that because we didn't want to call it the glimmer man because that's a movie. But uh, right. the way that they cloak and the way that they look when they do that is so incredible. <clears throat> and 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 I had people giving me stories from all over, you know, and then it was just it's crazy some of the things they that they've told us. When we were doing, we were compiling some of those uh, those stories about the uh, the cloaking, and I believe that it is a Sasquatch cloaking. I I, I don't know about Dogman doing it, but I know that Sasquatch for sure. Uh, some of the the things that they're you know, and I've had a couple people tell me Dogman too. Um, but I mean, I don't I don't know. I don't know about Dogman. Yeah, I haven't heard as many stories about that as I have Bigfoot. Um, really. Yeah, not not with the cloaking yeah. thing, you know. I, I I had one guy that said that he was watching this thing. This was recently. This was after because every time I drop a show, and I've told you this, Barton, I'll get flooded with reports about that subject, and it's like, okay, well, I just dropped the show, so I got to wait until, you know, I don't want to drop another one of you know within a month. But a uh, guy sent me one. He was a hunter. He was up in uh, West Virginia, and uh, he was hunting. And he's and West Virginia is very wooded, very you know. And uh, so oh, yeah. he, was, he was up there in a tree stand, and he said that it it was it began to rain, and uh, he said he saw this thing that looked like the predator, and so when I asked him, you know, you have to ask because I already kind of knew where he was going, and I said, okay, did it look like the predator from the movie? You know, was it chasing Arnold Schwarzenegger? You know what I mean? And he's like, no, no, no. I mean, when it when it you know you can see when it's cloaked when it has the uh, the glimmering, shimmering looking, you know, you can kind of see it's there, you know, it's invisible, but it's not. And then I, you know, he started going into detail and what, what he told me, he could make out the head, which looked very canine. Like he saw the ears sticking up at the top and it wasn't until it turned to the side, he could kind of see the snout. And he said, if it, it hadn't started raining, he wouldn't have saw it. He said, he absolutely would not have seen it. He goes, it stood there kind of halfway behind a tree looking at me. He estimated it was about seven foot tall, and but it wasn't overly large. He said it was, you know, he could kind of make out the the size of the body. He said it was it was kind of lanky, and then he said it just jumped, right. jumped down on all fours and ran off. And he and so that's an that's a a, a cloaking of a dog man, you know. So I mean, I I don't I don't doubt that that happens, but you get more of them uh, with Bigfoot. And there's actually a place called palmetto state park here in in, in uh, central texas in san antonio outside of san antonio i think it's i think it's east of san antonio where there have been several uh encounters with something invisible that chases people and and I, you know people have been pushed grabbed um slung into bushes and stuff and i've had people that that there are stories of people that have and then one guy that sent me one he said he was there when he was when he was young a teen, uh, 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 in his twenties, with his girlfriend, and something invisible grabbed him and his girlfriend. Like, kind of pulled them and yanked them and threw them into the bushes, and they got up. But it was more like a mischievous thing, you know. But it scared the heck out of her, and wow. she got up and running hysterical, you know. And then he had to catch her and then tell her, you know. And then she thought, you know, it was a ghost. But you know, I've gotten stories out of there about this 
phantom looking creatures that they resemble Bigfoot. If they get a look at them, you know, they, they look like Bigfoot, you know, um, recently, I know I, I just talk, talked about it on my live stream. I don't know if you saw the live stream last Tuesday, Bart. I know you watch it sometimes. Um, yeah, I try to watch it every Tuesday. Yeah, yeah. And there was a, a, some ladies uh, uh, that saw a Bigfoot run across the road. Um, I believe it was raining, too, and that's why they saw it. And, 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 and it was invisible. They could see through it, though. And it was like um, like it, they, they saw it like it was it was physical, and then they saw they could see through it. And it ran across right. the road. Right, so, both times that it happened to me, Josh, I couldn't, I, I could not see any outline like the predator or any other outline at all. It was completely and utterly invisible. And I've had lots of people, you know, I've, I've been honest about it uh, ever since I, uh, I've been a public figure, and so many people scoff at it. But I've had people tell me their own stories where they see these things walking through the woods. You can only see them from the waist up. And you couldn't see the legs. The legs were invisible. And just a couple of years ago, I had a guy right in Henderson County saw one run across the road, and only the legs were visible, nothing visible from the torso up. But when you start talking about that, uh, people say, they, they start hollering, woo, woo, woo. Well, I'm going to tell you something. You can take your kindergarten vernacular and your kindergarten intellect and stick them where the sun don't shine because th- it is a fact. These things can do this. So if you can explain to me how a flesh and blood animal can do this, I'll happily revise my conclusion that these things are some type of supernatural element, right? There is no animal in the world that can take two steps away from me. Three steps, and they sounded heavy, really heavy, and me not be able to find them in broad daylight. It's not It's not possible. And so there were, there were no even... There, not even any uh, footprints on the, on the ground. No disturbed leaves. Nothing. So explain that to me with your Gigantopithecus uh, theory, and make it make it make sense. And I'll listen to you. But there is no ape in the world that can turn invisible to my eyes. It's just, it's just not possible. So there's definitely more to be. One of the things that that, that when Ken Gerhard was on my show. I think we talked about it off. I think we talked about it Another off air. Yeah, he's a good guy. I like, I like Ken a lot, and and you know we're, we're friends with him. But one of the things he talked about, I think it was, and we talked about it off camera or off uh, air. And and Ken, I, me and you talk pretty regularly on the phone, just like me and Ken. And people, yeah. if people can, <laughs> you're, you're a cut up. You're like me. You like to cut up. Ken is too. Now Ken is so different than you though. And and when you when you talk to him on the show, he's been on the show about three or four times. He's always so kind of stiff, you know. He's very businesslike. He's very uh, uh, businesslike. Is not the word because he's not about the money. He's he's very just adamant about this is this and this is that. You know, he he yeah. talks very plain, matter of fact. You know, he doesn't. You know, there's not a lot of joking. But off, you know, right. the air, off camera, me and Ken, he has told me some of the funniest stories I've ever heard in my life. You and Ken have made me laugh so much. <laughs> and uh, it's hilarious. I'm like, Ken, you know, there's there's one story between me, and you, that can't, that not, yeah. we, we'll never be able to tell that story. It's a shame, but oh, it's, that's so weird. I wish so, we could. I wish I we really could, but we, could. we can't. But anyway, but everyone needs to laugh. You know, yeah. one laugh a day, it does you good. But Ken, but Ken yeah, is that very, story, yeah, that, that story is a good one. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good one, but we can't, you know, insult yeah. people. But so Ken, Ken is a very not, he doesn't like to insult or be rude or anything like that. But one of the things about him, 
We talked about it, and he said, he goes, there, there are no giant apes in North America, like, like as far as prehistorically. Like he said, there's never been any evidence of them. So what are Bigfoot? I mean, they're not they're not giant apes. I mean, he knows that, you know. So. Ken's right, and there are still no giant apes in America. Yeah. These are not giant apes. They're, they're just not. They're, they seem to have uh, abilities that take them into the supernatural realm. And Ken's not a supernatural woo guy at all. And the thing I I want to, yeah, and and I want to say this too about Barton. I'm going to say something about Barton before people start saying, oh, he's a woo, 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 woo. No, Barton and me have a very similar view. We believe that there's, there's more than one thing going on and you can't put everything into a box and say, this is what this is. This is what that is. One of our colleagues, and we're not going to mention names and I'm not going to say, but he, you know, he has, he believes that. And he's not the only one. There's a there's two or three out there that believe that Bigfoot is running around just kidnapping everybody. Okay, I mean, it sounds silly when you say that. Okay, yeah, that could account for some of the things that are going on. But and, and then, but this person's very hostile toward the flesh and blood people. Whereas I'm kind of middle of the road, and and I know you, Barton. You know that there there is very possible. There's two different things going on. I'm not trying to talk for you, but we've spoken no. at length about no. this stuff. I mean, it's very, no. I'm you know. I'm not hostile to anyone who believes different than me. That's not me. I don't believe in hostility to someone who's just trying to tell their point of view or their story. I would never disrespect somebody just because they, they believe me, right? And I, I'll be frank. Most people, when I tell that story, I'm, I'm sure they don't believe it. Uh, but it's true, and... One of these days, you're going to have to reconcile that with uh, what they're, the, the lines that they're thinking along. It's, just, it's not right. It doesn't explain anything. The Gigantopithecus theory doesn't explain anything. Nothing at all to me. And not only that, but I mean, when you start looking at some of the things that have happened to me, all right, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell this, and, and I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it was called the, the, the Tower, the Haunted Tower. We, I did a show and yeah. the haunted tower, yeah, and and I've told you, Barton, off air, that that was one of the most terrifying things that ever happened to me. I was a kid; I was just a kid, I was an eighteen year old kid, and it was it was a horror. I mean, an absolute horror. You know, I, I had no choice; I had to work, sink or swim. You know, and back then, jobs weren't just hanging off of trees like they are now, and so I, I was like, you know, I had to work. And, and I was, I was a sink or swim. It was no, I had no safety net. I couldn't call mommy and daddy and ask for help. That wasn't an option. Um, you know, I just couldn't do it. I didn't have a, I didn't, my dad was just not a dad that he just wasn't a person that ever, he's just not going to help you. It's just that way. He's just not that kind of guy. He's not a nice guy. So I just couldn't do anything. Um, so, so I suffered for months working at this haunted building. And let me tell you something I saw. The same thing I saw when I was 15, I saw this dog man when I was 15 years old with my friend Daniel. Um, I've told that story many times. I've been interviewed by a magazine for that. It's just, it's been retold and told. Not going to get into that. But I saw that same creature in an office building, like on one of the floors. It was the cleaning lady. It became that thing. I looked and I saw it through the, through the door. Yeah, I saw it through the door of the uh, of, of where the clean which you know the cleaning supplies on each floor, you know, and she was in there, and I saw it, and I'm going like, okay, I closed my eyes, and I thought this is not correct. That is not what I saw when I was 15. That is this these this demonic entity. It's mimicking that, 
And and I kept telling myself, this is, I was praying. I was, God, please help. You know, I was constantly praying. I never stopped praying in that place. I was so scared. And I said, you know, that is not, that is not what that is. And the weird thing about that building is it affected somebody horribly, some people horribly, some people it affected them, you know, kind of just like, in, you know, like a normal haunted place. And then some people were completely out of touch with it. They didn't, you know, maybe something would happen. They would just rationalize it. But there are people out there who I believe are so shut off from spirituality. They are so closed off from the spiritual side of, of, of life that it, it, they are almost dead to, to that. I mean, there could be a spirit right in front of them. Five or six people could be looking right at it. And they're the one, I don't, I didn't share anything. And they really didn't because they're so closed off to it. They really believe that we are physical beings having a spiritual experience. You're having a spiritual experience. When it's the other way around, we are spiritual entities in a body. There's like an avatar. There's like a body we're just right. inhabiting. Yeah. yeah. And, and so, um, I, I put the theory out there, you know, um, about, I was talking when I was talking to Lyle the other night on the phone. I think you, me and you and Lyle were still, I think you were still on the phone with us and we were having a conversation and it wasn't about this, but we were talking about some stuff about, you know, and then it bled into that. And I was talking about a, a werewolf that was spotted in a mass off of Massachusetts beach. It was kind of a prestigious area and people were seeing it for years back in the seventies, early eighties. And then it just ended um, and, and there was weird story. There was a weird story attached to it that, that a guy that lived there had died and that, that all of a sudden the, the sightings had stopped. People's pets stopped dying. Um, somebody told me one time that there was a little brief, like mention of it in the news or something that somebody believed, you know, there was a werewolf about, well, this old guy that lived there for a long time in that community, he died. And then it, the sighting stopped. I mean, the, 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 the stuff that was going on, but people started seeing, uh, every now and then they would see at dusk, this werewolf looking creature walking along the beach, looking into the ocean. And then it would just fade away. And I thought, you know, that could be, I think, I, I don't know if you were on the phone with me and Lon, we were talking about this. And, and I, I told him, I, I think that that could be a ghost. I talked to Scott Martis no, about the my, late, the my late, phone died. yeah, your phone died or something. I mean, and yeah, maybe you jumped off. Yeah. We were talking about <laughs> that and I was telling Lyle about it, but I, but I had the late Scott Martis, really good friend of mine. And we had, we were preparing a show before he passed. Um, and we were going to do a show with Ryan Tremblay and he was going to, we were going to all talk about aquatic cryptids. One of the things that Scott had come around to before he passed, and he had told me, that he believed that there could be a spiritual aspect to some of these water cryptids that people were seeing because people were seeing um, these plesiosaur-looking creatures uh, in Loch Ness and in, Ch in Lake Champlain, you know, the different... I saw different, one in the Ohio, Ohio River, yeah. Yeah, the Ogopogo. He said that people were seeing things that, and they were disappearing. And I was like, I told Scott, I said, we were just shooting the breeze one night, and I said... Scott, what do you think about this? Because, you know, and I, I used to call him up to consult him about prehistoric creatures. He was, he liked that I knew a lot about prehistoric stuff, you know. And I, the, the, wow. two, the two people that I referred to as him and Ken Gerhardt, I would talk to them about these prehistoric animals or whatever. And I had gotten a report about uh, these giant kangaroo with big teeth. I'm not kidding. This was in Australia. So I referred the guy to Scott and Scott and me were kind of trying to figure out what it was. 
and Scott was just like kind of starting to get a little, little more fascinated by the whole, the land, you know, he, you know, the creatures on the land too. He was starting to kind of, and he told me, he goes, you know, I don't know what the heck this is. You know, there's so many, he goes, I thought a hundred percent flesh and blood, flesh and blood. He's like, but then I get all these weird reports and, and, you know, and I was giving them reports and telling them, talk to these people, you know, whatever. And, and he started kind of going, you know what we should, it was his idea. And he was like, we should do a show and and, and we're going to explore that, you know, and you can be, you know, the advocate for this is the possibility. And then I'll do the flesh and blood side of it. And then we'll kind of bring it all together. And Scott was a very smart guy, you know, and, and we, so we, we had planned on that and then he just, he died suddenly. And so that kind of blew that out, you know, the water, but, uh, a really good guy. I actually named my cat after him. I named my cat's name is Martis. My black cat. I love him. Uh, but Scott's a good dude, man, and I, I really miss him dearly because I, I used to to. He would give me a lot of uh, a good like ideas, and we would talk and stuff. One of the things that I always respected though about him was that even though he was really on the other side of the fence, com- almost completely when we first met, he began to look into the other side, and he told me he goes, "I'm not against it." He goes, I like to keep it separate, though, from the flesh and blood, you know, and that that's fine. But I told him, I said, the lines blur. I mean, you, and it gets to the point where it's kind of hard to ignore, you know. It's really, um, when you get as many reports as I do, and I think it's because of the platform, because of the show. Well, I know it is. It's not right. like, it's it's 100% the show. I mean, you know what, I'm, what am I saying? I'm like, I think it might be, you know, no, it's, it is. But me and you've talked about this, and we've talked about some of the reports that have come in. You know, it, it's it's so weird. You know, every time I drop a show, you'll get ten reports just right up the bam, bam, bam. You know what? I, I heard your show the other day. I know a person that had this happen to her, and she's you know, t- I'll put you in touch with her. Blah, blah blah. You start talking to the person, and and then they'll give you a report, and then they'll tell you, I know somebody else. Blah blah blah. And then it just goes on and on and on, and then you can do a whole nother show. Um, you know, and it just it just blows up. It builds up. And so every time I drop a show, then I get more reports. Well, when you get enough reports and they start, you know, adding up to to half of them are pe- people seeing things that are apparitional in nature. Like, you know, they'll see, you know, a wolf looking creature and disappears or a hyena looking creature and disappears. Um, the, 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 there was a guy that gave me a story of Supernatural Sin City. And he, you know, he saw this saber-toothed tiger-looking thing leap at him. Uh, me and Weatherly talked about it. And it was so weird. Like, he was trying to take a leak. And this thing had jumped at him. And he goes, and I closed my eyes. I got prepared to be attacked. And there's nothing. It disappeared. You know, and then I right. got in my car, you know. And he was he got out of there. And it was in the desert going toward Las Vegas. That's a creepy area anyway. But, you know, he, he you know, it, there's reports of that, like, all the time. You, you know, how do you... Um, how do you ignore? How do you ignore those reports, right? Yeah. So you have cognitive dissonance so bad that any report that doesn't align up with what you already believe, then you throw it out. Well, that's the worst kind of researcher, the worst kind of investigator. I just can't imagine having that 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 you know way about you, the train of thought as to if this doesn't go along with my gigantopithecus uh, theory, then it can't be true. Yeah. So it's called a argument of incredulity fallacy, right? If you don't believe it, it can't be true. But as far as the the aquatic uh, anomalies and the water monsters, I can only and it really goes to any about anything that I've experienced. I can only go by what I know, 
and what I've seen and what I've experienced with my own eyes, I've never seen a, a water monster disappear. I've seen several of them swimming in the Ohio River and the Green Rivers, and they they didn't disappear at all. They acted like very flesh and normal flesh and blood creatures, whatever they were. But you know, who am I to say uh, what they are? Because I really don't know. Well, all I know is what I've seen, and I tell the truth about everything I've seen, even though it, it might hurt my credibility. I don't really care. I don't care about my reputation. I'm not trying to make money. Uh, my words are not stifled uh, by the fact that I'm trying to preserve my income. So I'm perfectly free to tell the truth in everything that's happened. So I have no uh, repercussions. So if I tell the truth and it's not what everybody believes, it doesn't hurt me at all. Well, Barton, you're very much like me. Yeah, you're independent with your, like, you have a very successful business that you run. I know that about you. Um, And and, and you make your own money. You don't need this. I don't either. I I don't either. I, you know, I don't need it at all. Um, If if, if this ended tomorrow, I'd be fine. Right. If I depended on my income for my books or whatever, I would have starved a long time ago. You know, it's the uh, internet. society that we live in that people don't really read books anymore not many if you can't read it on your phone or the, the pc then most people don't read it so well in podcasts you know, are, are making, not, you know. i have no yeah, i have no chains i have no bonds on me uh, chaining me to the the theories that are just the most popular and make the most money i don't care about that all i want is to get at is the truth whatever it is and the truth is these things are especially bigfoot uh they're not what people think they are. And anything that can become invisible to me from my face is not a flesh and blood creature to me. Unless you can explain uh, some kind of natural way that they can do this, then my conclusion is if w- it just one of these things exhibits supernatural abilities, then every one of them must be at least suspect by association, right, until something's proven to me differently. And if one day that I'm wrong about this, Josh, and somebody kills a Bigfoot and brings the body in, then I'll I'll say, look, I was wrong. Yeah, well, uh, even know. that doesn't prove that, the, that no there problem. aren't there aren't another, there's another element going on. Not right, to me because the chimeras run around and everybody's making distinct, uh, distinctions between dog man and Bigfoot. And I heard somebody the other day say, well, uh, Bigfoot's human. Uh, the DNA's proved that, and but the dog man, they're not human. Okay, so. When it comes to these hybrids, how do you make a distinction between an ape-human hybrid and a wolf-human hybrid? By their uh, logic, that all of the, the cameras that uh, have half-human, then they're all human, right? So to me, Bigfoot is not human. I don't care what anybody says. No human being can do the thing it does. No human being has the form of mind control that this thing does. I've talked to people who uh, hear uh, heavy footsteps coming up to their tent at night in remote locations and scare scare the crap out of them. And what do they do? Inexplicably, they lay down and go to sleep. So you know that's not something that you would do, right? So it's something that was forced on you by these things, however they do it. They definitely there's so, some ability know, out there that they have. Um, you know, and then the yeah. infrasound, that's another one, especially with the dog, man, I've gotten reports that, that uh, it was a guy who worked for, <clears throat> well, he was, he was a, a technic, technically a police officer, but he was kind of doing a security detail, uh, out in the narrow water treatment plant. And he saw this creature 
long story short, I've told this story on, on DER and, uh, he gets out and he works now. He lives out in Arizona and he's had nothing weird happen to him ever again. But, uh, buddy of mine, uh, his buddy worked for that, for that group. I don't want to say the name, but then, and so he said, I got a guy that can tell you a crazy story. And so the guy met me and my brother, we we're at a bar and we were at my friend Arash's bar and we we're just sitting there talking. And this guy tells me this crazy story. There was three of us there, you know, me, Arash and D. Uh, and so we're sitting there listening to this guy and he's a cop and he's chain smoking and he is so nervous, dude. And he's drinking beers. And so I told him, let's slow down on the beer. Let's, you know, cause you're, he goes, I'm, I'm just so nervous when I talk about this. And he said that this thing went, you know, and it just the infrasound, he said, it went through my body. He said, and then he said, I don't, and this is another weird thing. I did. He told me this, like I talked to him a few months ago cause he had, he had had a hyena, uh, dog man sighting, which I'm going to tell eventually at some point, but I was going to give it over to Ryan, let him look at it. But uh, he was doing a report um, uh, near Scottsdale, and he picked up a, a a report of a colleague of his. Not he didn't work near Scottsdale, but this guy, a friend of his, does as a cop that had a hyena cryptid sighting. And so, anyways, he was saying that this infrasound loosened up kidney stones. Like I'm not kidding. He wow. said that. He told me Barton. He said, "Dude, you know." He goes, "I, I had." Kidney stones, I guess, because right after that I had two of them, and, and they just I, they they came out real real quick, very painful, you know. And the doctor said they might have been up there for a while, and they just loosened up. And it was right after that infrasound, that thing's roar went through his body, and it and it loosened up his kidney stones. That's what he thinks happened. Um, wow, you're talking about some power. He said it hurt his chest. He said his heart was skipping beats for two days, and he thought, man, it's either the anxiety. You know, he told his wife, what was his fiance at the time, but he told her, you know, there's something wrong. I got him. I have an anxiety. And he goes and he looks, they look at his heart. His heart was skipping. Um, eventually, it, you know, the doctor said, well, it'll, you know, whatever. It'll, so it, it did. They gave him some medicine, whatever. But he said his hands were shaking. He kept, you know, just having, waking up, having cold sweats. He, he was, he said he was having nightmares, but he couldn't remember them. Um, just a lot of weird stuff, you know, and these creatures, they do these things. And now, one of the things that I was going to talk to you about when, when we were, when you've done all this research on the LBL, the land between the lakes, I wanted to get into that. Uh, yeah, actually, I was the first one to do that yeah, 15 I, years ago. I mean, so one of the things that we learn that could possibly be, um, not saying that it is, but, but that we learned that these weird looking creatures that were seen there, and I got a report out of that area of some things that, that I think looked like devil monkeys. They were kind of like a smaller, slim, more slender, you know, and it's, it's odd. I got that report. And then Roger, he comes out and says, Hey, these things looked more like, uh, they had human like legs. Um, not really right. human like, but the way he described them to us was that they were, uh, you know, long limbs, but they weren't, uh, dog like they didn't have the backward bent legs which to me is a telltale marker of a dog man. I mean, all these other things that people are seeing with the straight legs, I don't know what that is. That's, you know, uh, Gugwe maybe or something. I don't know. But the this, you know, me and Ryan did a whole show on the Gugwe. Unfortunately, the audio was terrible, but it, when it wasn't able to be put onto um, Paranormal Roundtable, but it is on Whisper to a Scream. I did a few shows with Ryan on his podcast, but we talked about the Gugwe and what it is, what it could be. Um, but this thing... That Roger described to me and you and, and, and the Hendersons, Johnny, um, 
that that these things had sh- normal legs. They didn't have uh, backward right. bent hawk, really? le- hawks, you know? No, no lupine legs, no grade legs. And they had longer feet, a little bit longer than normal, uh, real muscular with uh, real heavy thighs, real muscular upper body. So, yeah, there's several different kinds of these dog men. And, you know, the, the, the supernatural kind, who can manifest in any shape they want. It's a whole different story than what Roger encountered. Rod, the one Roger encountered was, to me, it's just plainly obvious. It was genetically engineered by the government. It was a physical flesh and blood creature that was able to be killed. Which so, is why the, the, there were people that showed up, uh, possibly from the right. government. And now, now a lot of what was to- what was talked about in in, in the past. You did the research on that. You were doing, do you want to talk about that? Right. Well, I first heard of that, uh, the Beast of LBL master. Uh, I guess it was, uh, 2004, 2005. And I reached out to Jan Thompson and we kind of got a, uh, a conversation going and we kind of become friends online. Right. And, uh, I mentioned to her that I would like to come down and uh, interview her and, and see what, you know, what I can find out. And, uh, so that's what I did. And she was a, a really, uh, seemed like a sincere person, you know, and, uh, I had my friend at the time, uh, had, he owned Grendel Films and, uh, he come down and with me and we filmed it all and he didn't believe Jan at all, but I, I thought she was a pretty credible witness, but, uh, that's when, and I put the put that story in Mysterious Kentucky, and that's when everybody started taking notice. And you have all these other researchers coming down, and or saying they come down. And really, the only research I know that have been there is me, Mark Maycheck, Johnny Henderson, Jody Cook. Uh, we've all been down there. Uh, I personally don't know of anybody else. I haven't seen anybody else down there. I'm sure Kumbo and Nick Valenti and all of them have, have made their trips down there. But all everything that they really that they write on the subject comes from Jan Thompson's story. And they, they make the mistake of thinking Jan Thompson was there, but she did. She wasn't there. Uh, she heard the story secondhand, according to her from uh, two cops that worked the scene. So that's a secondhand story right there. So why is, why is the, her story more credible than Rogers? To me, it isn't. Uh, it's, they're just, uh, they're just as credible. Each one is just as credible as the other. It's plainly obvious that the scene that Roger left was altered and staged after he left to uh, resemble an animal attack, which the local authorities found. So, I mean, it, it's it's pretty elementary if you just have an open mind. And, and, you know, I've talked to Roger for at least 150 hours. You know, I know he's not telling a lie. I know he's telling the truth. And uh, it's, it's just something that's a... It's a gift that I have, really, because I've talked to so many liars, and I've been around pathological liars my whole life, and uh, so I can tell the difference. And you, be- you, when you broke that story with Jan Thompson, that 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 kind of like gave the story a life of its own, and it kind of made like everybody believe that that's the narrative, right? Right, exactly. And keep in mind, that's just a story that was told to Jan. Jan had an experience of her own where this uh, 
creature came and attacked her house with her cousin in it, you know, a couple of her cousins in it, and that's how she was able to describe it to me where I could uh, sketch it for. And that's where you, that's where the, the, the sketch comes from. So, so that became the narrative, basically. And uh, so, so all the arguing and fighting that was done on my show on that Tuesday live streams was, you know, and you kept saying this to me, too, in, in private and in, in public. You were like, look, all of this is based on, this, you know, the story that I got from this individual and the arguing over the validity of any other narrative was really pretty ridiculous you know that's what you you kept maintaining that you know and, right. uh, and yeah and, yeah and and so if somebody else comes along and, and you were very honest and you were like look if i was wrong i was wrong and i want i want to be the first one to admit that i was wrong and i thought that was very admirable and folks if you if you want to question barton's integrity i can tell you right now the guy doesn't make money off of his books in fact i'm gonna come out and say this most of the guys writing these books and doing all this, they're doing it because they enjoy it. They're not really making a lot of money off of it. You might be able to scratch out a living, but, you know, Nick Redfern and, and Ken and Lyle and David Weatherly and all these guys are my friends. Uh, they're not making a bunch of money off of this. There's people that, that, that say the most ridiculous things. I'm going to throw this out there, that we're all just making money. We're just getting rich off of this. I'm not – this is not my stream of income. This is not Barton. All right. Me and Barton have own companies. We own businesses. That's how we make money. Not this. You know, you ain't going to get rich off of this. Ken, Ken and Lyle make a living, and that's it. But Lyle has a band, too, so he does that. But they're not making a bunch of money. You know, you think they pay you a bunch of money to go on TV? They didn't pay, you know, they didn't pay me that much to go no. on there and tell my story. You know, I did right. it more as a favor to Michael Sheehan because he's a good guy like Michael Sheehan. And I said, okay, I'll do it. You know, and he said, well, if you got that story, I really need another person. And, and my person that I'd given him had flaked. She'd flaked out. Um, in fact, I think she was just scared. She didn't want to talk about it on the air. And she just really was, didn't want to talk about it. it. Was She was done with it. And it was a story that I had told on DER anyway. So I said, well, you know, and she got scared and cold feet, whatever. So I stood in and I told Michael Sheen, yeah. And they liked that story for the Church of the Forgotten. So I did it. I didn't make money. I didn't make anything off of it. You're not making a bunch of money. Just talking on on TV, they go, oh well, Ken and Lyle are on TV all the time. Must be making a bunch of money. They're not, and I can tell you, Barton's not either. Not from these books. Right. This is something that you do if you get into this and you want to do it as a field. And I see a lot of people wanting to do it as a profession. I'm like, good luck because you're not going to make a lot of money off of it. It's just the way it is. You got to have a passion for it. You got to have another business to fall back on. There, this is not – you're not getting rich off of it. There ain't nobody out here getting rich off of this. I can tell you that. No one. No, there's no one, right? So it, it was it was a passion for me, and I just wanted to tell the truth to everybody. And I realized that half the people were more would think that I'm uh, a liar or a profiteer or a hoaxer or a loon or whatever. I'm on drugs. Uh, but it, it, really, it, it didn't matter. So my only goal is to tell the truth, and that's what I've done. And if you don't believe the truth, that's up to you. That's fine with me. I'm not going to lose any sleep tonight because someone don't believe me. Because in my heart, I know that I've done all that I can, Josh, and which is simply to tell the truth to the people. And what they do with that information is just their own business. They can accept it and believe it or not. You're a very honest guy. Like you, 
Like you've told you've told me some very. Let me give you a fun fact about Barton. <laughs> Tell somebody this one, if, and if, if if this is if you don't want this, I can edit it out, whatever. But Barton admitted to me that he drinks eight Coca Colas a day. <laughs> and I was going yeah. like eight Coca Colas a day. I was like, "Are you kidding me?" And Barton goes, "No, man, that's how I keep from getting sick." <laughs> You gotta be yeah, kidding no. me. I've been doing it for 30 years. 30 right? years of eight, eight Coca Colas a day. Years. Doesn't get kidney stones. I mean, you know, it just, it's, it's, it's amazing. Like, so you got, a, a, you know, you got this weird, you know, body that doesn't, you know, it's just, it's just crazy. It's freaky. And so you're sitting there going, like, oh, wow. That, and to, to me, you know, the first thing I would tell somebody, stop drinking Cokes, eight Cokes a day. You know, you got to stop doing that. But that's your vice. I mean, you know, you're not a drinker. You're not a, you know, a smoker. You don't, you're just, you, you drink soda. And that's one of your bad vices. And you were like, yeah, I know it's not good for me, but I do it anyway. And then you kind of joke about it, you know. But the funny thing is. Well, I had no problems at all. Yeah. And, and, and you, the, the funny thing is, like, like you're very honest about that. And, like, you know, you just threw that out there as a kind of a funny, you know. And, and so I know that you are willing to just admit to any of your whatever. Like, most people are like, that's a weird quirk. Not only is that weird, but that's just, like, very unhealthy. You know, and you just told me that, and, you know, I was talking about trying to be healthy and doing this and doing that. And you were like, yeah, I drink eight Cokes a day. <laughs> the last time I was with the doctor, he said, I'm doing something right because I'm in really, really good shape. <laughs> and you said you don't drink water uh, hardly at all. Hardly ever drink water. <laughs> yeah. When I'm really, really hot or oh my gosh. I've been sweating a lot at work, I'll, I'll take a few sips of water. But it's usually a Coke. I have a chocolate milk every morning. One, one chocolate milk every morning with my breakfast sandwich. <laughs> a light lunch. But my metabolism is so high strung, Josh, that, you know, I, I don't gain weight. I could eat 20 pounds of food one day, and the next day I've lost three pounds, you know. I can't. You, Nick, you, Nick and Lyle and Ken are all – and here's another fun fact. It's weird. It's very weird. <clears throat> you, Nick, Lyle, and Ken are all the same age. You were all in bands, rock and roll bands. Lyle still is. You're all big metal yeah. metal guys. You all like heavy metal it's very weird. You're all the same age, you know. Um, Nick Valente is the same age as you guys too. Y'all are all that same age group, you know. And and it's so weird that y'all all have that in common. It's it's just a it's a funny weird. Strange. Yeah, it's a synchronicity. It's a weird synchronicity. And you guys are all thin. You don't gain weight. It's like good God, dude. You know. Yeah, I'm trying to gain pounds and make it up to one seventy five to one eighty. Uh, but it's not, it's not going to happen because I burn 20,000 calories a day at work. So no matter how much I eat, you know, it doesn't really. And my wife, is, she's so frustrated because she can look at a cupcake and gain three pounds, and I can eat a whole case of them and lose weight. <laughs> and, so and you have a very physical job, too, though. I mean, and, and it's weird. that Here's what's yeah. weird about you drinking the eight Cokes a day. You, you have a very physical job. You paint houses. But you have a company. You do that. And, and, and so you drink you don't drink water <laughs> I just thought that was so weird you know and and you told me that and you didn't you know and you're not one of those people you don't give a crap you know if, if you you know what i think about your habits or anything like that and you've been very forthcoming and honest about a lot of things and one of the things that and that was just a weird sidelight folks i'm not trying to you know but but here's something that that, that really got me about you bart when we first started talking to being friends you know i'm very picky about people i talk to and deal with you know that I try to be, you know, right. keep my circle small, but I have to interview certain people and certain people I like and certain people I don't. I'll interview them and be like, eh, that's not going to happen again. But 
you know, you guys are, 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 are really good guys. And but one of the things that, that struck me about you was that you had the most to lose uh, about by Roger being correct, because then that would change the narrative no. of what, you know. I had nothing to lose about Roger. Well, being you know what I mean. Like, like, like you had originally broke that story, so the story would have been, "Oh, Barton Nunley's wrong." You know, if if that's the case, you know, if the original story wasn't the correct fine. story, that would have been fine with me, Josh. It yeah. would have been fine. I would just say, "Hey, look, I was wrong, and this is how it really happened," and move on. It, you know, I'm not. Well, you didn't have anything to lose, like fun. you know what I mean. But like your reputation, you didn't care. You were just like, you know, I, I just want the truth. I want to know the truth. And yeah, that right there, yeah, exactly. That struck a chord with me because I thought, you know, here's a guy that's willing to say, and most people would de- would vehemently defend their narrative that they've been saying for 20 years. And you were like, hey, if this is the way it is, and this is the way it is, and it sets it on its ear, and it changes everything, then so be it. And and you were very adamant about I, that. I just want to know the truth, Josh. That's my. That's my mission is to get to truth and uh, share it with the people. And, you know, I don't care anything about popularity. If I, if I cared about popularity, I never would have wrote in, in my books half the stuff that I did. I would have left all what they call woo out of there because that's uh, financial suicide. It really is. Nobody, if, if your narrative about Bigfoot, for example, doesn't fit the uh, the most popular notion is that they're, some kind of relic hominids running around uh, by the hundreds, escaping. Our, uh, we can't. We can't. We can't capture them. We can't kill them. We can't even so much as study them in their natural environment, right? So, I just want the truth. That's that's all it is. And, and it, it, popularity doesn't matter to me because I'm not making any money. I'm doing it for uh, uh, good reasons, not not personal gain. And like I say, if I wanted to make personal gain, I would be talking on all the, the circuits and selling books at every conference and being on TV. I turned down just about every offer that I've ever had to be on TV. I've only been on TV four times, but I've turned down about 50. And it's not, you know, it's not me. I'm not looking to be that guy that is uh, the face of the paranormal or anything like that. I'm not looking for fame. I'm not looking for fortune. I'm just, I'm out here. Telling the truth as I know it, and that's that's what I'll, I'll continue to do and, until I'm I'm done. And that's all you can and do in this field you because you're not going to make money. Yeah, that's right. all you can do. So. Just have integrity and and tell it like it is. I tell people stories. I retell them, and if if the audience can decide, if if you guys at home decide this person's bogus or bogus, you know. Now my integrity is not for sale at any price. Uh, and, uh, if I thought for one minute that I was trying to mislead people or to saying, uh, things that weren't true, I wouldn't be able to sleep at night. You know, I'm not that kind of guy. So I have to be me, uh, 24 hours a day. And, you know, when you see me out walking around in the woods and pictures with swords and stuff, that's not a photo op. That's just me, dude. And there's always somebody taking pictures of me everywhere I go, but I dress the same every day unless I'm painting, which, you know, I come home and change clothes, but you can spot me easily outside uh, just by the way I dress because I dress the same way. I, I'm me all the time. It doesn't matter whether I'm in front of a camera or yeah, in front of a typewriter. I'm still going to be me. Let me ask you this. When we were talking about the LBL earlier and, and Roger's story, of course, with the weird legs and all that, you said that you believe that they were government chimera. 
right. is that your that's your final answer? My final opinion on that on Roger's story, yes. Woo! No, I'm just playing, dude. Otherwise, it couldn't be killed, huh? Yeah, you know what? I I I wonder about that because when when he first told me that, I just thought it was a spe- it was another one of these species of devil monkey looking creatures because I had gotten a story that I made a mistake of dismissing years ago out of the LBL, and I thought that sounds so ridiculous. These people were out there drinking, first of all, you know, and I, so I just kind of tossed it out. I didn't put it in the one off that I should have, the folder that I should have. And, uh, you know, now I get a story and I'll, I'll tell Anthony, hey, you know, th- what do you think of this? We'll look at it or my wife will look at it. We'll talk about it kind of as a team, you know, and if it's questionable and or my brother and we'll all read it and then we'll go, I don't know, you know, but we don't want to dismiss somebody's story because I, I made a huge mistake because when he told yeah. that story about those, that's what got me to think that maybe, Ro- maybe Roger was right. I don't know. I'm not going to pass judgment one or the other, but. When he started describing well, the creatures, you. what was that, Barton? Yeah. I was going to tell you, Linda Godfrey, you know, my dear friend, my most excellent friend that I've ever made on the Internet, uh, she st- she shared a story with me a few years back about uh, 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 seeing the dog man and dog woman uh, with a litter of little dog babies, dog children, walking down the LBL, and I thought, Hmm, this doesn't fit with what I believe uh, about the dog man. But you know what? I could be wrong. I'm only human. So, What's, you know, you she know, said, what? I, you know, conclude this in your book if, you, if you're writing about LBL. So I did. And now that Roger's story has come uh, to the forefront, I realized that these things could be being bred by the government. That's, that Maybe that's why the government was there on the scene so quickly, right? Because they were already there. Yeah. So it's the only thing that really makes sense to me why, you know, all people, a lot of people come up and said, oh, they were wearing cologne cologne or oh, yeah. something that perfume that triggered these dog men. You know, bull crap. Come on, man. Uh, you know, some people have said there's as many as 60 people getting killed in LBL a month. Come on, dude. I, I've heard no two. way. Is, is that true? Because I've heard that there, there are two people go missing a month out there. No. No. Not true. When someone goes missing there, it's it's uh, made known that they're missing, and uh, whatever happened to them, you know, you probably don't get to hear what happened to them. But uh, so from 1970, me and Johnny Henderson, rest his soul, we were telling all the stories that we'd heard over the years about the people who had been murdered in the land between the lakes, from like 1974, 75, all the way up, and we counted 15 people. So that's uh, 50 years, 15 people. Still, though, if, if they're being killed. That's a lot. Yeah, if they're being killed by something, that's still, that's a lot. And and I've heard well, I've heard good. some crazy stories. I, I don't know if you've heard this one, uh, this real quick. Somebody was, they were canoeing down the river, and they watched a dog man go into a tent and killed a couple. Have you heard that right, one? That's Jody Cook's story. Yeah. Jody's Cook story. Mm-hmm. And I watched this video and I helped him do the video. I uh, donated uh, a lot of the video for my Hunt the Dog Man documentary and I gave him permission to use it in his. So I finally watched that video at Johnny Henderson's house a couple weeks ago. And uh, I'm listening to this guy telling his story. And Jody took everything he said as true. And he didn't uh, didn't offer any proof. Of course, there's no proof of anything. 
Mm-hmm. Like I say, if you're waiting around for truth, you're going to die an old man completely, you know, unsatisfied. You're not going to accomplish anything. So you have to find the proof in the integrity of the witnesses and the honesty of the witnesses. But Jody was, he took everything this guy said as true without proof. And yet he demands proof of everything Roger says. Okay, well, let's demand proof of something Jan Thompson says, right? She can't provide any. No one can. And so to demand proof of one uh, witness over and let everybody else just believe them without without proof is kind of, uh, you know, it's 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 not right. It's 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 kind of, you know, hypocritical. So but I don't want to control any narrative. I just want the truth. Whatever the truth is, that's what I want to put out there. If Bigfoot are aliens, I want to put out that out there. If they're something else, then that's fine. You know, it doesn't matter to me. I, I have no, uh, I have no uh, dog in the fight at all. I'm just a guy out there trying to uh, get to the bottom of things and let people know uh, what's going on. And it doesn't matter to me what it is, as long as it's true. Yeah, Barton. One of the things Jan, too. <clears throat> I want, I want to make clear, Josh, that I believe Jan. Mm-hmm. And Jan doesn't believe Roger, but that's because she can't understand, like Jody, that the the scene was altered after Roger left. The scene was altered to make it look like it's something that it wasn't. And instead of the dog man being in the tree dead, they they put the little girl up there and maybe slashed up the bodies a little bit to make it look like uh, animal attacks, right? But. It's the same story. You know, a lot of people think, well, it's got to be a different story. No, it's the same one. But there's two different scenes, one the original scene and one the stage scene that was allowed to be found. So once you can if you just think about that for a second, you'll see how much sense that makes. And, you know, I would never, ever be hostile to any witness for any reason much less because their story differs a little bit from what I've said or written or, or anything like that. I treat witnesses re- with respect. You know, I'm grateful that they'll come out and, and, and tell their story, which, you know, it, the, the atmosphere has changed over the last 30 or 40 years, Josh. You know, back when I first started this stuff, people, uh, if they, they come out and, and admitted to seeing something like this, they would be ostracized, ridiculed. People have died in Kentucky because they've come out and told their stories. That's how bad it used to be in the 60s and 70s. But now the atmosphere is totally acceptable. You know, come out and tell a story and, you know, you're not uh, really put through the ringer like you used to be. So Still still not that, uh, totally accepted, though. I can tell you from being... Not totally yeah, accepted, but, yeah. yeah, not totally, but... Seventy percent, whereas back when I first started, it was maybe two percent. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was expected. You, know, you couldn't really. I've always had a gift for for walking up to somebody and, and engaging them in a conversation, and extracting from them the strangest things that's ever happened to them in their life. You know, I can I can. Uh, so I was down in LBL with Mark Maycheck and Johnny Henderson uh, just a couple months ago, and we stopped at this little burger stand to get everybody something to eat. And uh, we got the food where well, we ordered the food and there was five or six or eight tables, you know, outside where people were waiting to, for the orders to be filled. And at the very last table was uh, uh, three park rangers. 
So we order a food and Mark takes off and I didn't know that he was going to the uh, bathroom. I'm just following him like, well, where is he going? Where are we going to sit down to wait for our food? And uh, I'm about 10 or 15 feet behind him. I see him take a ride into the, the, the bathroom and I'm standing right beside the park rangers, right? So I just sit down at the table right next to him and I'm three or four feet away and I start talking to him. Hey guys, how you doing? You know, and they, and they seem real friendly and everything. And one of the guys actually uh, brought the conversation up that I was a writer and was down here looking for stories about Bigfoot and Dogman and everything. And one of the park rangers actually confided in me that he had worked in eight different uh, parks in the last uh, 10 years or 15 years. I can't remember how long he'd been working, but he had seen Bigfoot in every single one of those parks except LBL. So I gave him my number, you know, and everything, and maybe he'll, uh, one day he'll decide to call me and give me some more information, but that's the kind of man I am. I just, I have a gift for bringing out uh, conversation and people trust me. You know, I don't know why, uh, but they trust me to to tell me things they wouldn't normally trust people to to say. So I've always been lucky. Let, Let me ask you this. You said that that park ranger had seen Bigfoot in every one of those parks but the LBO. Why is that? Right. Well, he just started working at the LBO a couple months mm. uh, before them, mm. and he had a he had a supervisor sitting beside him, and he was a bigger guy with red hair. And when we started talking about this, he started giving this guy a look, you know, like you know, better shut your mouth. But the guy, the other park ranger, didn't. He was more than willing and more than happy to tell me, you know. Now, I don't know. I hope he didn't suffer any uh, consequences for doing that. But uh, it, it's people like that that that's where you get your information from and you get your knowledge. It's not science. Science is completely helpless to tell us anything about these yeah, creatures. Yeah, you're right. It's incomplete about a lot of things. Or, right. They're unwilling to do it or incapable of doing it. So, you know, and it's like this COVID mess, follow the science, okay? Well, science doesn't mean what it used to mean. So once this COVID mess has proven that science can be monetized, privatized, and propagandized. So you have to ask yourself, whose science are we supposed to follow now? The science that I follow is my own eyes and my own logic, right? What, and Barton, and what about what, this? Theory that, that and has been proposed to me, and I, and I actually talked to Johnny about it too. You, we've gone over it before, but I mean, just to reiterate for the people that, that, that you know, is there a reason why there's Dog Man more more often than LBL than Bigfoot? I mean, is well, there a reason about the same? About the same, yeah. But one is in the north, yeah, one so is in the south, and is that correct? Right, Dog. Dogmen's in the north mm-hmm. usually, and the Bigfoot uh, uh, sightings take place in the south. But 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 it is. Oh, I guess my re. Let me rephrase that question. Do you think that they stay out of each other's territory? No, no. Because the Spotsville monster incident that happened in 1975 involved both dogmen and typical Bigfoot uh, inhabiting the same area at the same time. So. No, I don't think they stay out of each other's area. Because there's a place down here in Central Texas, and I've talked to you about it before, and <clears throat> there's still a lot of people, like you said, they don't like to talk. Uh, Scorpion used to have a job at a, at a, at a uh, Whataburger. <laughs> there's a place here in Texas real popular. 
and uh, he worked there part time. And uh, I don't know why. I think he worked downtown. And he was just kind of burned out. And so they needed night shift and they actually paid pretty well. But he went and he was working down there and he got, he had this guy that was his boss that I became good friends with. And we started talking about all that. And he, he thought I was writing a book or something because I asked so many questions, but he was, he had a wealth of information. And I checked out some of the locations and I talked to some of the people that, that were from there, people that, that, that had lived in that area. And one of the things I, I, I kind of made a map, me and my brother and Scorp kind of put together sort of a map, not, not, precise or anything but just blue dots were bigfoot red dots were dogmen and we started to realize that the dogmen were in the west bigfoot were in the east and i was like what the heck is going on why why are they separate they would be a few interminglings but mostly and then there was a goat man black always black and it was near this old cemetery on a place called purgatory road creepy, creepy name. And the place was called Devil's Backbone. And uh, there have been story after story after story. There was a guy named Burt Wall years ago. He was on, he was on uh, Unsolved Mysteries. He wrote books about it. it. It's, it's really, it's a very creepy place. I've been out there. Um, one of, I think two times where I, I I'm confident, a hundred percent confident that I heard a dog man, like how, um, it was a place called the Haunted Valley. And when I look at the little map there, I'm thinking, Ooh, that's right in the middle you know, and me and Linda Godfrey went over this too. And I think we did it on the air and off the air because me and her talked off the air uh, for a while. One of the things that we talked about was the the uh, difference um, between, you know, wh- where you see a dog man, where you see a Bigfoot, how there's kind of a divide. And then she said, you know, in her words, there was goat man shows up kind of as a third party, you know. Um, and, and that's true. You You get a lot of goat man. But you don't get a lot of like you don't see people who see half horse, you know. You you see every once in a while I'll get a centaur story, and a weird thing about that is I'll get like I have a little bit yeah. of a little bit of stories about that, but they're not nearly as um, numerous as the goat man, dog man, and Bigfoot. Those seem to be the big three that you hear the most about. I even did a, a show right. called Goat Man Origins, and and we released it on Whisper to a Scream and on Paranormal Roundtable. And one of the things that we, that all that research we did, me and Ryan, we did like a, a good month of stuff for getting prepared for that. We really got prepared for that episode. We got a lot of sto- stories about the goat man, um, you know, and, and there are some pretty heinous stories that are attached to that particular creature. Um, you know, and, and of course, like we we're talking about the divide. Just first, first of all, are there any goat man stories out of LBL or is it just Bigfoot dog man? No, I, I, I'm aware of no goat man no stories. No goat man but stories, but so it's okay. So that's out of the way. Mothman. There's a couple of Mothman sightings there as well. Really? Okay. Yeah, or some type of winged, winged humanoid. Let me come back to that. So, so the divide thing, the theory about them being in two different areas, that is pretty accurate, right? I mean, that does happen apparently, but they do go into each other's territory. But it, but they tend to stay like they're like in in, in a group of sightings will be. I'm correct about that. Like, am I right? Like, there'll be right. one. Yeah. LBL anyway. Yeah. Well, that's how Devil's Backbone seems to be, too. Um, now, there is an area that I think kind of makes a triangle, kind of a weird triangle. Um, and, and there's three towns in particular. 
but there is a, a, a river. There's two rivers in that area, and one that runs. There's actually a drive, real pretty drive. You can drive down. It's a river road, actually call it. Um, there in Central Texas, and when you're driving through that road, th- there have been numerous sightings of Dogman and Bigfoot along the river from people I've talked to. One story I was was given by some people who, like, we're talking about the spectral aspect or whatever. There were several people, and this was this was tied into one of the Hernandez Ranch episodes I did on PRT. There were several people who saw it, and I think I might have told you this, and like four people saw the dog man, the other two people didn't, and they were all right there staring, and only some of them could see it. That would lend some sort of credence to the fact, or, or to the uh, uh, opinions that we have that these things could be, um, you know, some sort of uh, spiritual or metaphysical creature. Um, I know that that some people believe Bigfoot to be absolutely 100% a cryptid in the, every sense of the word, a cryptozoological creature. Dogman is not. They believe that it's not. Um, Bigfoot, is not Bigfoot is not a cryptid either. Yeah. See, and, and there's opinions that go back and forth. One of the things I know about Dogman, and there, there are a couple of quacks out there who swear up and down they have evidence. They've never been able to produce a shred of it. I've offered thousands of dollars to anybody who could produce this evidence. Got none of it. Got never had nobody take me up on it. Nothing. I mean, it's like there's there's no evidence at all. Um, there there are tracks and things like that, just like there's for Bigfoot. But where is the real evidence for these things? That's that's what gets me. Thousands upon thousands of people see it, but then there's no evidence. Like there's no real hardcore physical evidence that tells me there's something else going on. And now, and somebody threw out the other day, they, they were arguing with me and they said they found chimpanzees that had been released in the wild in Northern California. I don't know if this is true. They just sent me some article. I read it 70 years or 80 years later, 79 years, something like that. And they found what they believe were the descendants, whatever, but they were in hiding for 70, 80 years. And I'm like, okay, so what? So they, it, we finally saw them, okay? We still have not been able to prove or say anything about Bigfoot or Dogman. Nothing. Goatman, none of it. I mean, you can't. So, yeah, there could be flesh and blood thing going on. I believe that that they can manifest as flesh and blood. The one I saw shook a fence with its hands. I mean, there's no way or whatever they were, the weird-looking claws. But when you when you start getting into the meat potatoes of it, there's no evidence. There's absolutely nothing. We have nothing to go on. Um, the police come. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, sorry. Nothing we can do. The, you know, talked to this cop years later, told me crazy story about some stuff that went on, you know, um, claiming that there were a lot of people that had seen it. But like he said, nothing, no evidence. We can't prove anything. He had seen tracks back in the seventies. Um, but you know, there's no proof. Right, there's plenty of evidence, John. Plenty of evidence, no proof, zero proof. Yeah. So the evidence is mostly anecdotal. Yeah. But you also have physical evidence of footprints and hair and scat, and so that's that's considered evidence. And even the witness testimony is perfectly fine in a court of law. You could get somebody uh, put on death row just by witness testimony, but it doesn't work in uh, the unexplained. Uh, phenomenon subject. So, and when you were talking about lots of evidence, no proof. 
let's get let's get into that. What you were talking about with the Mothman sightings. You, you also you you yeah. I wanted to cover that the flying what you were talking about because in your book you talk a little bit about everything. You talk about UFOs. You talk about these weird. There, there, there's several sections of the of the book that you get into. You were talking about the Mothman looking crazy. It's funny because I just did the Mothman, but what what was that all about? And then if you could tell your Tyrannodon, can you do that? 